0: This is Psalms 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him.
1: The word of the Lord. You may be seated, and the kids are invited to Kids Church today. That after Jesus was baptized, he went from the desert, proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. It's the Matthew reading or the Mark reading that Rachel read for us this morning, that that Jesus, after he is baptized, and, and the word that is said over him from the Father in the three baptism scenes is this is my son, which is similar to that what Ryan read for us in Psalm two, this proclamation of of God sort of claiming this one as his king. And so, you know, if you're um, reading the gospel um, with, with the psalms in mind, and you see the scene in which Christ goes out and is baptized, and you hear, this is my son, your mind would go to Psalm 2. And not only that, then what Psalm 2 proclaims is this anointing of a king. When Jesus returns from the wilderness... He announces the kingdom of God that is at hand. So today's sermon is about the book of Job again. See, that's, that's a joke. Uh, some of you guys were wondering if we'd ever finish. Um, uh, today's sermon is actually about something more exciting, politics. Um, uh, but in a weird way, because Christians have a different way of, of being political, although it may not seem that. And one of my favorite um, theologians will often remind that when the world says to the church, be political, the church prays. As we believe in God, we believe that God can be active in the world. We believe that there is a spiritual despondency throughout the world that doesn't live in communion with God. As Ryan read for us from Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? Why is there lostness? And, and the church can forget its mourns. It can try to make the world into the kingdom that Jesus announces. And this kingdom, I mean, there's a common joke that Jesus doesn't get killed for going around telling everybody to be nice to one another and, and, and love each other. Like, um, It's the announcing of a kingdom. And this is what Pilate's trial is with him. Um, this is what the Jews' trial with him is, are you the Messiah? Um, the, it's the announcing of this sort of political sphere in which he is moving that changes things. And yet, for the church... What we often should be doing, what we are called to in the midst of a world that's often divided, is prayer. And so this sermon series, and I should note um, two things. One, the sermon series is going through the book of Psalms, uh, not all of them, um, uh, but 12 of them all the way up until Advent season. And the guide I'm using to sort of pick the Psalms was this old book, by Eugene Peterson titled Earth and Altar. It begins with this poem from G.K. Chesterton that says, to the God of Earth and Altar. What Peterson takes from that is that um, in God, uh, or in the Christian life, we have both earth and altar. And he said one of the biggest mistakes that Christians make, or anybody in the modern age is tempted to make, is that prayer is private. As Christians, we don't privately pray. We pray to the God of Earth, and altar, both religious and all that is in, within the earth, belongs to God. Now, Eugene Peterson in this book um, is, is quite brutal to the American churchgoer. He wrote this while he was still a pastor, but he begins with this quote from Alexis de Tocqueville. Um, 150 years ago, Alexis de Tocqueville visited America from France and wrote, Each citizen is habitually engaged in the contemplation of a very puny object namely himself. Glad that Eugene Peterson is not my pastor <laughs> to call out right in the first paragraph of your sermon of your book that in this country we are often engaged with the primary object of adoration and of glory and of love, and that is a puny object. It is myself. And what Psalm 1 and 2, we read both today. Emily read Psalm 1, and, and Ryan read Psalm 2, is they set up this introduction to the Psalter that really is expansive in so many ways. It, it, it sets in the first one, you know, how will you find the blessed path as an individual? How will you find yourself among the righteous? And the second one um, tackles sort of the rest of the realm, the nations and the kingdoms of the earth. And what's interesting about both of these two psalms uh, at the start is both of them don't have um, uh, superscriptions. They're both, un un, like the third psalm, if you look in your Bibles, will say, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Psalm 1 and 2 don't have any of those. And many scholars take that to believe that these two psalms are meant to guide your whole reading of the book of Psalms. Both in the ways in which we shall walk in the world, Psalm 1, and then both in the ways in which we um, shall trust in God beyond. This is why the Christian can pray rather than be political in the, in the regular sense, where prayer is our politics, is because we know the one whom is beyond. We know the one, in the words of Psalm 2, who laughs at the plots that the kings make, who laughs at their choices, who laughs at which the ways in which they want to set their path. We'll get to that in a second. But both these psalms are notable for the sense of peace which pervades them. Many of the other psalms will be brought to to conflict and to trial and challenge. Uh, The quote on the back of the bulletin from, from John Calvin says of the psalms, I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Psalms are an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not represented here as in a mirror. That in the Psalms, we find this sort of all of human experience from rage to anger to depression to anxiety towards um, darkness, towards great joy, all reflected in the Psalms. But in these first two, there's a sense of peace that pervades that God is the one in charge, that God is the guide of history, that that these psalms don't name for us in the same ways in which we shall be worried and concerned about everything, but to be driven deeper into the with God life in some ways. And so we have this sort of announcement in these psalms, too, of, of this God and this way of life in which he calls us into. Christians, then, are called into praying these psalms, and these psalms can bring us to life. Now, I'll I'll get more of them. I thought we had more of them. I have a red little book that has a daily order for prayer in it, but most importantly at the back, it has uh, a 30-day journey through praying the whole psalter. This is the common language for Christians in time. It's notably um, our prayer book and our hymn book at the same time, but because it's in the Old Testament, it is also Jesus' prayer book, and hymn book. It is why he is able to quote from various different Psalms in the moment of agony on the cross. He's one who lives the Psalms in some ways, and that you would, um, and if you go through the gospel and look at the Psalms, or the New Testament, it's, it's often one of the most quoted books, is that these hymns, these praises make an ingrainment on you so that you can go forth knowing God in this way. I think in the modern West, we often are tempted to think that the primary agent of formation, one, temptation is the sermon, but more just the information that we receive very directly in prose, which I think, one, we're wrong. Um, My daughter has heard uh, a certain Taylor Swift song, let's say, three times. She can sing the whole thing after the third time, Um, that, that what we sing praises to actually sticks with us more than what we receive directly. Um, try going throughout your day quoting something from your newscast or from the last podcast you listened to, and it'd be a great challenge. But find going through your day uh, quoting uh, that song that Rachel sang for us, which I listen to often, that great is your faithfulness to us. Uh, I will put my trust in Jesus and anchor in the storm. You find that those things actually radiate within our souls differently. It also raises the question of what are we? putting into our souls and unfortunately I just confessed it's Taylor Swift for my daughter I will do better um, it's so hard to push back on the tyranny of the Swift um, just, just let it be just let it be it could be worse Anyways, yeah um, and yet that's uh, What we find in the Psalms is these things that can live within us, that these can become our prayers and our ways of moving and understanding and of living and being in the world. The Second thing with these Psalms is that we have two house churches starting, one here in uh, Rifle, this, or it's, is that your house, Shelley? It's in Newcastle this week. It'll be in Rifle two weeks from then, in which they'll sort of sit with their choice of the Psalm and read through it Once and have a period of silence, and then read through it again. These are, I think, one of the most formative parts of our house churches: is to hear Scripture read, to take a minute or two of silence, and then to read it again. And then the Glenwood one, which meets the following week, bouncing back and forth. They're actually different groups, but we have one in down Down Valley and one in Glenwood. Um, We'll do the same thing, but it's but it's in this spot. I often say that we come to these things. There are lots of places that we can go to scripture and take it apart. We can ask questions of it. We can begin to sort of, uh, I often say that we can probe its depths. But one of the things we do after we read, and for this season the psalm aloud, we'll ask what the scripture is probing within us. It's not a Bible study in the traditional sense where we wonder about what it means or this, that, and the other. But we ask of Psalm 1 or Psalm 2 or whatever psalm we're going through, What is this speaking to within my life, my daily walk, as I go about from this place? The goal isn't to say, which nation do you think God is talking about when the nations rage, um, but to say, in the midst of a raging nation, which they all are, how does this inform my walk and way of being in the places that I'm called to? That's the second thing with this. Um, and so that's sort of where we're going, this this Earth and Altar series, and looking at the Psalms, sort of to expand the self. Although I think the subtitle, um, To Expand Ourselves, is the first chapter of Eugene Peterson's book is The Unselfing of America, um, that we need to become unselfed. Uh, and it's a play on a, a title from a Wendell Berry book called The Unsettling of America, um, in which we, he sort of confesses that All our grand projects have neglected the most important thing, which is the smallest project of all. Love of neighbor, betterment of home, betterment of the community in which you walk. Um, Again, if we look at many of our modern political discussions, we'll find that very few of them are connected to our neighbor, to the ground in which we live, but are connected to much larger schemes and programs and such so my hope is that the psalms, too, that as we walk through us can free us from some of the anxiety we have living in this nation that, like all nations, rages, um, and rages in many ways. So we'll, we'll start with the psalm now. Um, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? Just notably here, in Psalm 1, it says, "...whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on this law day and night." And in Psalm 2, it says, why do the nations conspire and why do the peoples plot in vain? Oddly, that is the same Hebrew word translated much differently. If you have a translation where it tries to use the same word for each use of the word, you'll see that in your translation. But, But in the first one, the person who is at peace in the world meditates on God's thoughts on how we should be in the world day and night. It is this that leads to that path of blessedness. It is this that enables that one not to sit with the scoffer or to walk or to um, pause with evil, but to move on from it. But in Psalm 2, as I said, these both are intimately connected. They're connected by a beatitude too, we'll get to. But why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? Uh, It's almost like we have two choices. Uh, We can bring ourselves to the center of things, thinking about God's thoughts about the world. We can meditate on the day and night, on that which is external to us, which is a big thing. It's not inside of us that this law comes, but it comes from outside of us. We can spend our time doing that and finding ourselves in blessedness, or we can plot in vain. Um, And I can I mean, personally, it is so easy to plot in vain, to come up with schemes and programs, to think about the ways in which we can sort of magnify ourselves. Or even, um, I think that there's this way in which we plot our own selves over and over again in vain, even in negative ways. Um, There's this phrase uh, that the Stoics use often, that that, uh, you suffer more in imagination than you suffer in reality. Um, I can come up with a million ways to plot about my own destruction. It's not even always growing my glory, although I think being obsessed about it is, in some sense, glowing your, growing your glory. If you're obsessed about how you might fail or get revealed or found out or destroyed, we suffer more in imagination than we suffer in reality. Uh, it still is yourself that you're magnifying in some weird ways. You might be like, no, I'm only obsessed about what might be happening to me still self-obsession. We can, we can come and open ourselves to mysteries beyond us, or we can plot in vain. Um, and it is so easy to do. The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band against the Lord and against his anointed. For the Christian who sees in this psalm a little bit or a lot of Jesus in which he is the one who comes announcing his kingdom, repent and believe the gospel, it is not hard to see the ways in which we, the people of the earth, and I mean we, we have a time of confession in our service. It's not always thinking of others. But we uh, can rise up and band together. Band together against the Lord and his anointed one. And this is, I think, in this not-yet time. There's this classic saying that Christians live in the already and not-yet of this kingdom. The kingdom is already present in what God has done in Jesus Christ in defeating death and raising from the Christ, and yet we live in the not-yet. The fullness of that has not come into the world. Um, As we live into those two places, um, we— uh, can begin to think in that gap, it's time for us to rise up. And not only that, I think, as I spoke of the church's temptation before, sometimes we think the temptation is to rise up to secure our place, not knowing that the only place that's secure for the church is with God. Blessed is he who, as it fi- uh, finishes the psalm, who seeks refuge in the Lord. But that is the place in which we will find it. Even the church can face the temptation. Let us band together while we wait for Jesus to return. And in that, we rebel against the Lord and his anointed. I'm picking on the church because I think it's easy for us. If, you, if you're having trouble finding places where we can also see this in the world, talk to me after the service. It'll be a short conversation. Um, I'll send you to uh, any news webpage, and that'll be enough, um, uh, in which we rise up and try to to, to defeat in this way. Um, and this first section deals with that. Let us break the chains and throw off their shackles. To say to God, to say to his anointed, let us break these chains and throw off these shackles. It's Jacques Alul who says that the world always has a will to death, a will to suicide. And it is the church's call to be in that spot, to where we see spiritual despondency and to move into that. It was Solzhenitsyn in a different essay who talks about how in, in the world we've come up with programs to fix almost all of our problems, and yet we've ignored the spiritual poverty of our lives. And he says, the solution in the East is the ruling party, the ruling ideology that wants to fix everything, and the solution in the West is the commercial. And I broke down and wept for my own soul. <laughs> um because uh, I could see within that both the temptation towards the ideology, but also it's so much easier to race for consumption than to pick up the spiritual agony and depth of my own soul. I think if I could buy one more thing or optimize my life in some other way, that might fill that quicker than the prayers that I might offer. That brings us through, and yeah, let us break the chains and throw off their shackles is where we live. The next section of the psalm, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scops, scoffs at them. He rebukes them in anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy mountain. Uh, Calvin, again, has this beautiful phrase where he thinks about if this is the time that the Lord laughs, is, we plot the nation's plot, as we try to throw off the shackles in vain, the one who is our rest and our peace doesn't get all anxious or worried or worked up. The Lord in heaven laughs at our ability to proclaim our own individualized freedom, to proclaim our own self-actualization in the world, that this is the time in which the Lord laughs at which this comes. And I think there's a bit of... um, and what he proclaims next is that I have installed my king on Zion, I my holy mountain, that I've made a new world while you plot in vain, and God laughs at that. Um, Calvin says, though, that, that while this is the time that Lord's lap, we might weep with the ways in which the world turns away. But in our weeping, we can console ourselves with the Lord's laughter. That what we see sowed in destruction and in vain doesn't have the final word. There's a lot, um, if you think about the New uh, Testament references to the Lord's patience. God's laughter, I think, extends his patience. And his patience is to give us time to turn and seek that reconciliation. To find ourselves bound in that way. What God has made is a new world and a new peace. um, And Incidentally, as you're reading the psalm, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. It was the Jewish commentator Everett Fox who said, Zion is a modest mountain with a modest town within it and the capital of a small kingdom surrounded by more powerful kingdoms. And yet this is what we pray, that God has installed in that place, small and forgotten, under threat as it may be, That is where God has installed his kingdom. Next section, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. This is um, the king in Psalm 2 speaking. um, In the New Testament, you would maybe read this as Jesus' words, that he said to me, you are my son, and today I've become your father. Now, in the ancient Near East, there were large traditions that made, um, so this is generally considered a Davidic psalm. Um, In the ancient Near East, the original audience for Psalm 2, some would hear this or some kingdoms would have ones in which the son, the king, is actually God. They become co—it's um, a representative of God that is God. The psalm, interestingly, use, uses more adopted language. You are my son. Today I have become your father. That, that in the original context, this would have been heard not as David as is God, but David is adopted as one of God. Now, when we hear it with the New Testament in mind, and many of us, if you have the King James uh, translation, will say, today I've begotten you, which is the language that we use, begotten of the Father, not made. Um, point being is that for our political moment, or for any political moment, the, the king at best can be adopted into the ways of God, but is not God in that way. Um, that's something that becomes revealed to us in that baptism scene later. Um, Ask me and I will make your nations the inheritance, the ends of your earth, your possession. Um, Matthew, at the end of his gospel, and Jesus stands on the mountain and he proclaims to his disciples to go forth to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded to you. We go out with that message that, that the Lord has made all the nations the inheritance of Jesus, the ends of the earth, just what the book of Acts is about is that message spreading to the ends of the earth, God's possession. And we often go out somewhat weakly and shyly, but what we are doing, in the words of this psalm, is breaking the plans of the nations with a rod of iron and dashing them to pieces like poverty. We go forth proclaiming the gospel of God's work that he has done in Jesus Christ. To the ends of the earth, as he said, we don't go just shyly and meekly, but as ones with the power in which we are bringing them back and dashing their plans. As we spoke about prayer earlier, the words of Karl Barth on prayer is that um, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. To clasp hands and prayer together is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. This is what we heard from Mark, from Rachel, and a voice came from heaven: You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Um that's from the book of Acts, we'll skip that. That psalm is used in Acts twice as well. Therefore, you kings be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry with you, and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. It's not just the dashing that goes on, but this this call then to be wise. For us as the people who are announcing this kingdom, to be wise, to be warned, and to serve the Lord with fear as we walked through the wisdom literature. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then to kiss, um, serve the Lord, and, and celebrate his world with trembling. There's, again, that displacement of the self, I think, that happens in this passage. That we displace ourselves, and it's not a cause for, for lost, but we celebrate that rule with trembling. Celebrate that coming of that kingdom, that freedom that comes. Kiss his son. There's, there's, um, uh, Everett Fox again. With purity, be armed is the way he translates that. Order yourself towards purity. Have fidelity to this one, and that will be your armor. Um, show deference and uh, love and compassion, I think, to the Son. Um, and, and this is more this leading to destruction thing. I often thinks, think in the Psalms and in much of the New Testament is you reap what you sow. This isn't a warning just from God to say, look, if you're not on my team, your path goes to destruction and death. But to say that if you are... Um, reaping that which is counter to this law that is goodness, that is freedom to the oppressed, that is sight to the blind, that is healing to the lame. If you are running in ways that are counter to this, your path will lead to destruction. If your goal is to make your own king and build bigger and bigger laws and plot against the grain of the universe, we can cut against the grain or we can go with the grain of the universe, you find yourself leading to destruction, and his wrath will flare up in a moment. Which brings us to the end of this psalm. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. The first psalm, Psalm 1, began with, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked. Blessed is the one, Psalm 1, the end of Psalm 2. Blessed are those who take refuge in God. This is the bookend that starts our journey in the book of Psalms. Blessed are we as ones who walk not with the wicked, but find ourselves. And Eugene Peterson, this was before he did the message, but it, it, like a tree planted by waters. Uh, his uh, wonderful translation of Psalm 1 is um, like a tree replanted in Eden. Um, Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in that way. But in Psalm 2, we find ourselves drawn into a people, a people of the kingdom, a people of, called the church, a people who have a different position in the world, the people who know what is coming that is partially in the now, but we await in the not yet. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. May that be the good news for us this morning. That our blessedness, as we heard this psalm about kings and rulers and plans and ways in which we want to plot our own freedom and find our ways outside of what God has called good for us. We see it in the world. We see it in our own lives. Our blessedness comes in finding refuge in him. It's not for us to make everything work out. Psalm 2 is a really a lot. Psalm 1 and 2, but Psalm 2 is really a lot about who do you think is in charge? Who is the one who rules the world? The one who laughs at our plans of freedom? Or the one who sets us free? Blessed are all those who seek refuge in him. Let us pray. That we have heard rumors of the ways in which nations and kingdoms plant their own freedom and path away from your goodness and truth. And while it may seem for us to be worried about to try and correct, to try and elect the proper way of being, when you see that, Lord, you laugh. You laugh at the ways in which we think we can self-construct and govern our own worlds. And as Christians, we hear that you have set yourself on Zion, that you have appointed a new king and a new kingdom, and it is that which we are continually drawn into. We are the people of God, your church. We are grafted into that ever-growing kingdom that is announced throughout the world. We're baptizing them in the name of the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, draw our hearts closer to you may we be those who find our lives blessed as we seek refuge in you in your son and your spirit we ask all of this in your holy name amen
0: Oh, Lord.